Chapter one, take two, two. Rebetzin Goldfarb was already posing another question so sweetly it felt impossible not to respond. She said, So, Ronit, any young men in your life? She asked with that tender smile on her face, the one that older people always use when they want to let you know it's time to get married. Now, here's the thing. I wanted to tell her what she wanted to hear. I really did. At that moment, after such a pleasant evening's conversation, I wanted to be able to say, oh yes, a doctor. Is he Jewish? Why, certainly. We're getting married next year. We'll live in Manhattan. I could see how delightfully the conversation would proceed from that point, how we talk about wedding plans and about the future. I found myself longing for that conversation with all my heart. I wanted to say that, and I saw myself wanting it, and I hated the part of myself that wanted that to be true. I heard a screaming creak from far away, and I found myself thinking of a lock and an old rusted key resting heavy in my palm. This is all the explanation I can offer, because honestly, which of us really understands why we do the things we do? I said, Actually, Rebetzin Goldfarb, I'm a lesbian. I live with my partner in New York. Her name is Miriam. She's an architect. It's not true. It's never been true. There was a Miriam a long time ago, but we never lived together. And the architect was another woman entirely. And let's face it, currently I'm sleeping with a married man, so I could have said that and shocked them just as much. Or maybe not. I looked at Bruma. Her skin had a greyish cast. She was staring not at me, but at the gold farbs, unblinking and terrified. Onwards, I thought. Onwards and through is the only way. Yes, we're having a commitment ceremony next year, and then we're talking about kids. Maybe a sperm bank, but a gay couple we know said they might want to be fathers. But you know how it is. I leaned forward, conspiratorial. I noticed that no one else leaned with me. They say they want children, but they still want to be out every night. Still, four incomes are better than two, and it'd save a lot of paperwork. I smiled as though I were telling an amusing anecdote at a friend's party. After all, the turkey baste only gets used at Thanksgiving anyway, right? I folded my hands in my lap and sat back to survey the damage. The hartogs were the best. Very satisfying to observe. Her mouth was hanging open and she was looking from Diane Goldfarb to the Rebetzin and back, glassily fish-eyed. He was staring down at the table, fingers at his temple, shaking his head slowly from side to side. David was smiling. He was looking up at the ceiling with his hand half covering his mouth, silently smirking. Sitting next to me, Esty looked as though she might start crying, which made me want to shout at her, but because for God's sake, did she expect me not to say what she already knew? Or did she expect to have been the only one for me that I should have been as paralysed as she's obviously been all these years? And the gold farbs, I should have known. I could have known. But I didn't think of how they'd feel. Or maybe I did, but I didn't care. Just a moment before, I did care very much indeed. Diane Goldfarb was looking at his hands, quiet, impassive. His lips were moving, but there was no sound. And the Rebetzin, she wasn't looking away or trying to gauge someone else's reaction. She was just looking at me, full of sadness. I thought I had come to all sorts of decisions about what I believe. That it is better for things to be said than remain unsaid. That I have nothing to be ashamed about. That those who live narrow lives have only themselves to blame when they find themselves shocked. As it turns out, I don't seem to have got what Scott would call total buy-in from more levels of my brain on those principles. I thought I should phone Dr. Feingold just to let her know that nothing had been resolved even after all this time. Because I did feel it. Shame. They're not bad people. None of them are. Well, maybe the heart hogs. But the gold farbs aren't bad people. They're not cruel or unpleasant or malicious. 
They didn't deserve to have their peaceful Friday night dinner overturned. They didn't deserve me smashing my life straight into theirs. It can't have been right with that I did. And if I hadn't? Yeah, that wouldn't have been right either. Lovely. Thank you so much, Brianna. You're welcome. (laughs) Hey everyone, welcome to Chapter 1, Take 2, the podcast where we read the book, watch the film, and then discuss the adaptation. My name is Maddie. I'm Brianna. And this week we are covering disobedience. Anita, <laughs> we weren't expecting you. Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot. My father just died. Sounds so dark when you say it like it that. It does. Disobedience! Yay! Yes, we should celebrate disobedience. I agree. I think disobedience is the way forward. Um, that's just my two cents. Written originally in 2006 by Naomi Alderman. What an incredible writer yes she's stunning i love her it's amazing i want to be her friend if you listen to this can you be my friend please (laughs) you want everyone who is a female writer specifically to be your friend but also philip pullman all the female writers that's true that's true you know that woman who wrote the help i don't want to be her friend oh yeah not that one not that one pushing her white beliefs on black culture anyway um thank you so much for joining us a couple of notes before we get into this week's episode um chapter one take two now has a patreon so if you have a couple of spare dollars that would be amazing and this is the last episode before we do our live show of carol Uh, we'll be covering that with the amazing ray shipley at Mm. little andromeda theater uh, on the 11th of march in christchurch otatahi if you say it in tereo which we all should uh and yeah really looking forward to that so if you listen to this episode and you're like hey i like this a lot then come to carol because it will be more lesbians more lesbians uh it's amazing very excited to be part of christchurch pride week i've always been a participant of the lesbianism-ness but i have never done an event before you you would say you just participate in lesbianism i would say i'm an active member of lesbianship (laughs) lesbianship i love it Um, have you paid your membership fees because that's important. I have to you. Oh, yeah, you do, girl. Hey, anyway, uh, why did you want to read? I, I I love that section. I know probably why, but tell, tell the lovely listeners about that section, Brianna. I just, I really love the last line. Like, it wasn't right for her to ruin that, that evening, but it also wasn't right for her to say nothing. To, 100%. And I just, I love that nuanced look into the way that... Um, we, and by we, I mean anybody who doesn't fit into the box of religion, mm, interacts box. with organized religion. Like, and I think that that's something that's interesting. It's more interesting to explore than what I feel the film did. Yeah. I yeah, I thought the film was a big disappointment. We'll get more into that. But I mm. I didn't realize how much I would love the book. I love the book. Yeah. I thought it was amazing. I thought it was going to be dark. Yeah. I thought, our cover. I thought it was great. Our book cover is quite weird. It's purple and it's got flowers on it. And it looks like a young adult novel, but it's not. What this reminds me of is when we watched the, um, I'm not sure if it's a TED Talk or just a special of um, Brene Brown talking about all the different covers that pe- like publishers oh, tried yeah. to make her have of the book. And it's like... Yeah, this yeah, cover yeah. of Disobedience, to me, does not encapsulate what the book is about at all. No. Yeah. Um, do you want to give a quick summary yeah. of the novel? Thank you so much. So um, we meet the Orthodox Jewish community of Hendon in the moments that they're 
their leader, the Rav Krishka, dies. Mm. Um, he gives one final speech on the importance of God's gift of words to hum- humanity, and then and then he and then he just croaks. Yeah, he has <laughs> lung cancer in the book. Yeah, and pneumonia in the film. Yeah, yeah. and um, he dies, and then. Uh, kind of through that first opening sequence, we meet the um, two of the main characters, David, um, who is the Rav's nephew and p- likely successor, his w- and his wife, Esty. And then in the next chapter, we meet the other main character, who is Ronit. Yeah. Um, and we come to find that Ronit and Esty had a lesbian relationship when they were teens, and then Ronit moved away. Um, and Ronit comes back to mourn the loss of her father and come to terms with her relationship with him yes and to find the silver candlesticks that her mother used to light at shabbat every week um and windy what else it's 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 a more it's less like like one of the one of the reviewers that i read from the guardian said that the book was really plot heavy but i didn't get that impression it's mostly just going through the internal monologues of the characters as it does go through the plot, which is quite limited. Once Rona is back in the UK, she has dinner with the hot dogs, which is a scene that I read from. Yep. Um, 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 mm. We should make some sort of beatbox <laughs> thing from that. Esty, who has been very excited to see Ronit, approaches Ronit like, and kisses her. And their scene, and the rumor started that Ronit was forcing herself on Esty. Yeah. And that's not what happens. No, it's not what happens at all. And eventually, just get, the word gets around town. Yeah. And then she's approached by Hartak, who gives her sort of an ultimatum, um, basically saying, like, I'll pay you a few thousand dollars if you agree not to come to the Hespit, which is a celebration in Jewish tradition of someone's life once they've passed. Yeah. And um, Ronit agrees to take the money and leave. Uh, because the Rob has actually left all of his possessions to the church, so the only way she's to going to get yeah to the synagogue, the only way she's going to get her mother's silver hand, um, candlesticks is is if she um, ag- agrees to not attend the husband. Yeah, and um, then she sleeps with Esty, and yes. David walks in on them, and he passes out from the migraines that he has. And then um, they kind of come to an understanding that David has always known that Esty was a lesbian and that they had had a relationship. And sorry, spoilers. And then... Spoilers forever. uh, Ronit. And then Ronit. Sorry. Um, And then Ronit goes through security like she's going to board the plane with Hartog there and gets the check and her mother's candlesticks um, and the other possessions that she had set aside. And then actually just slips back out the airport um, and then puts on a shaitel, which is a wig that Jewish women wear to cover their hair. And she attends the Hesped and doesn't confront Hartog um, now that she's already got the money and stuff. Um, she doesn't feel the need to she anymore. She doesn't feel the need to anymore. And then she comes back a year... Oh, and then at the the Hesped, yeah, Esty comes up and speaks, which is a massive break from Jewish tradition because women don't speak at the synagogue. Yeah, they sit um, in a different section completely. Yeah, and so there's a bit of ruffling of feathers and then a year passes and we find out that people have left the church but Esty speaks more regularly. Um, when she talks, she talks about how she's always been attracted to women uh, but that she also lives in accordance with the Bible or the Torah. And so 
that's that's her choice that's her life and then um Ronit comes back for the laying of the gravestone they see each other again and Esty is just given birth uh the their son is three months old three months old yeah because yeah, um yeah she's gone for a year and she's obviously carried the baby for nine months yeah um and it's it's really good and we'll dive it's in. really good we'll dive into it is, um, more of like yeah from your summary a few things popped to mind of what i wanted to talk about i really was so disappointed in the interpretation of Esty in the film especially because they completely changed her character um i'll do my facts quickly and then we can get that out of the way and just dive into our review yeah. of it all um so like i said before written by naomi alderman back in 2006 um the film was later made in 2017 uh ronna is played by rachel weiss Esty is played by rachel mcadams dovid is played by alessandro nivda um he's a very handsome man they made they made him look much plainer as mm. a, um, a, as a, he's got a bunch of. What's his name? What's what's the title? Sorry. Um, he's the rabbi. Rabbi. I was all I could think of was Rav, but that's like yeah. the next level up. I've leveled up from a rabbi. Sorry. I look at a picture of him, not in terms of the. Yeah. I can't help but think of um, religion all the time, especially when there's so many steps and stuff. It's like a video game. Like you get to level up and you know be the next character. Um, the budget of the film was... Oh, yeah, he is, like, kind of a little bit, a little bit dapper. He's he is like, a dapper oh, man. Yeah. Um, budget of $6 million, a cumulative worldwide gross of $8 million. Um, directed by Sebastian Lilio, L-E-L-I-O. Yeah, this was his first English film, apparently. I really... I don't think I've ever seen um, a film where there are two lesbian main characters and it's been directed by a man... That I liked. I want to just check if I'm saying a a lie because um, I'm not sure if Imagine Me and You, which is quite a nice lesbian film, I'm not sure if that is directed by a man or a woman. Directed by Ole Parker. Who is that? A man or a woman? I I think think it's it's a man. man. Okay, well, there, great. I just disproved my own thing because I quite liked Imagine Me and You. Um, It wasn't... I feel like a lot of the time with lesbian films, they're so overtly sexual. But to me, watching... Because I've watched more films with you now. Um, mm. Sorry. that's I didn't structure that sentence very well. I've watched more lesbian films with you than I had previously in my life, I think. And so many of them are so overly sexual. Yeah. Like, it's not like blockbusters where, you know... Think about, like, Captain America and the flirtation he has with other... Like, what's what's her name? Captain... No. Detective... No. Yeah. The chick. She later gets to show. Agent. Carter. Yes. Agent Carter. You know? Like, there's no graphic sex scene. It's like, women are always so sexualized. Anyway. Well, okay, but that being, that being, what do you think about the fact that there's no nudity in the lesbian sex scene, but when she has sex with David early in the film, she, we see um, her breasts and bum. (sighs) That's such a good question. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing from my perspective. Right, because because that scene. I think it's also worth noting that both Rachel Wise and Rachel McAdams said it was one of the safest and most comfortable sex scenes they've ever filmed. That's great, and I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, and I want that. I want that for every yeah. every actor, uh, especially women. I think that's a really interesting choice because I think maybe the nakedness is with um, Esty and Dovid in the film is showing more of the purity and more of the ceremony of the sexual act maybe because mm-hmm. it's like they're oh, like, naked and exposed you, well, well yeah like maybe like 
they're going to have sex. This is what they do. Yeah, this is like the structure. This is the routine. So then like she lies down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whereas with um, Esty, it's more and, of an explore- exploration. Yeah, and run it, and and it's more like I need you right now. Like I'm so sexually attracted to you. We don't have time to get undressed. I just want you, and I need hmm. you. And it's it's I don't know more. Is well, the more- act of undressing together is very sexual. I think sexual. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Or undressing the other person mm. as well, rather than just like... Yeah, that's kind of what I meant. Like, Yeah, like, yeah. I get, I get. What I say together is like, I take your shirt off, you take my shirt off. I yeah. pull down your underwear, you take off my bra. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. Rather than just taking off your own clothes and getting yeah. into bed is very like routine and yeah. kind of dull, I guess. Did you expect to be disappointed by the film? No. Uh, especially because it was made 2017. Yeah. And so I think... It's, that's not that old. That's four years ago. Now, this is his first English language film. Do you think that there's a possibility that he just kind of missed the point of the book because English is a second language? Maybe he read a bad translation or maybe he read it in English but didn't glean maybe. I think the information. Because I think Naomi Alderman has this amazing way with prose where yeah. she says so much without saying it. And it is so powerful because of that. Like, I've been going through a lot of stuff at work and I haven't been able to stop thinking about it but when I was finishing the book originally I was listening who's the narrator what na- what what's the, her name read by Rachel Atkins does that sound familiar uh that's really hard to say it doesn't matter I thought she did a wonderful job narrating yeah, it um, I agree and originally I was listening to the end I had like the last 40 minutes to go and I played it and it distracted me so much that I was able to actually fall asleep because not because it wasn't incredibly interesting, but because it turned my brain off for a second. Mm. And so I fell asleep and then I woke up and I listened to it again. And it was so good that I was so focused on it. And I thought it was so powerful. And I... <sighs> what was your question? Did you expect to be disappointed? Yeah. No. I didn't either. I expected it like... No, I didn't. Yeah. But, I, but I'm not surprised. Okay, okay. I did not expect to be disappointed. Oh, you were, you were talking um, about you were talking um, about how great Naomi Alderman's prose was because we were talking about um, whether or not we thought the, fact, the translation yeah. thing. Yeah, but I I'm not surprised that I'm disappointed, but I didn't expect it. If that makes sense. I so I always expected I always expected to be a little bit disappointed because the book happens so much within the bounds of the characters' minds that it would be difficult to convey a lot of the subtleties mm. uh, without making it a super script dialogue heavy film yeah although that being said i felt like all of the nuance that is present in the film came from the beautiful acting from rachel wise and rachel mcadams and their and their you know ability to i just realized both your names are rachel yeah so how would they how would that have gone directing rachel do this no no sorry rachel they use other rachel names. yeah probably it's not that hard but i just think it's funny i literally just realized that i don't know nicknames yep Okay, yeah. So what was different? Lots. So much was different. I feel like they completely changed the dynamic between Ronit, Esty, and Dovid. They changed, yeah. like... Well, from, they changed Dovid. They changed Dovid. And they changed Esty, too. Esty is supposed to be so much more meek, so much more, like, she doesn't care that she kind of is an outsider in her community. Like, she is quiet, you know. Yeah. She knows that she doesn't quite fit in, but she still believes in the Torah so much that she doesn't just leave like Ronit does because she doesn't want to leave the community. Yeah. And I I really I really hated 
that they made Rachel McAdams such a center point in the community because that's not what she is in the book. No, that's not what she is at all. But, I, but more than that, I hated David's character change. Yeah, 100%. They changed so much. So They gave him way too much power. Yeah, I thought this was really interesting. So Ronit's character in the book is like, um, not a stockbroker, but she does some sort of trades and stuff mm. between, you know, big businesses. And in the film, they made her a photographer, which is much more of an artistic thing and I find that really interesting because I think it what you do as a job often to some aspect of your personality has a commentary on that so in the book I think Ronit does like the structure and she likes the professionalism and she likes being taken seriously because as a woman in um, orthodox Jewish community you don't have as much as a voice or the power and when you're dealing with money you do seem to have more power and she's not an autistic in fact Ronit um Ronit likes probably business because she enjoys the power of doing things that she feels men do. Yeah, exactly. She wants to play a male role in society. Yeah, whereas I feel like Ronit in the film is so much softer, so much more apologetic for who she is. Like, the Ronit in the book knows that she doesn't fit in, is fine with the fact that she left, and it's kind of like... To a point where she is a bit judgy. Like, Ronit in the book, to me, is a bit unlikable. because yeah. because And it's fine. It's fine that she's unlikable. But she is aggressive towards the fact she's like, oh, like, you know, the women here are just... It's not that they're oppressed, but they're like, they're not really happy, though, are they? Like, yeah. are you happy with your seven children? Blah, blah, blah. Like, there's that conversation between the other woman. Yeah, it's it's sort of like she comes from being that kind of feminist who's like, you can't be a feminist. Yeah. And wear makeup. You can't yeah. be a feminist and, like, say be it's it. your choice. And yeah. she goes... And be, like, a homemaker. Well, it, it's more complicated than that, isn't it? Absolutely. And I feel like she goes on that journey. And yeah. then esty goes on the journey that she can be a lesbian and that can be her identity and she can believe that she should not act on her lesbian impulses and still be open about being a lesbian Mm. and 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 still deserve all the love and respect in the community that a woman of her status would normally get esty yeah yeah totally and i for me i oh sorry no 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 i just there's so much to talk about yeah i really enjoy the dynamic between esty and david in the book because it's not what we've seen before like a lot of the time in these kind of stories the the male the husband is kind of a shit and he's kind of the aggressor and the, yeah the, the the moment of like domestic violence in the film that isn't yeah. present anywhere in the book yeah and it's like ugh, esty and david come together in the book because they are both very passive people yeah and they connect over that and they have a childhood love and friendship that supports like david even says in the book he's like it's hard being in love with someone who doesn't love you back, but it's what he'll take what he can get because he loves Esty. Whereas Dov in the film is like, no, 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 she's mine. Like, she loves me. I love her. This is my house. I keep my house in order. He even says that. And I'm yeah. like, that's not that's the not Dov. And, and, okay. I think okay. this is such okay. a thing that came from there being a male director that wouldn't have come if there had been a female director. Because um, in, in the book, it is very clear that the person who's oppressing Esty the most is a hundred percent like david's like i know you're a lesbian yeah it's very always obvious known and i have always loved you yes and that has never been an issue for him yeah and and so like to have that power to set herself free which she has and takes yeah. in the book be taken away from her in the film by having it her her have to ask and I'm air quoting, ask David's permission to free her. And then in the, at the end, the book culminates with Esty speaking, not David. Yeah. And in the film, David gets that speech. And it's like, no, 
fuck you, David. hundred <laughs> percent. I totally agree I, with you. Oh, I, I totally agree with you. grinded my gear so much. Of all the things that they change, yeah. giving David Esty's moment is like, you have missed the point. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's, you know, we get... We get that cool perspective because it is written by Naomi Alderman, who did grow up as, as an Orthodox Jew, and we get her female point of view of the situation. I really um, liked David and Esty's relationship in the book because, to me, I do see males a lot of the time as the oppressors, as the aggressors, and I know, I know for a fact, like, I have male friends who are good men. But I also know that in mainstream film and television, a lot of the time in these situations, the man is the bad guy. They're the abuser. They're the ones who are like, you should be afraid of. And I really like the relationship between Esty and David because men, like, it's almost like men, oh oh my God, I'm just having such a huge epiphany that is so obvious. Like, men are also oppressed by mainstream media. Did you know, babe? Did you know that men were oppressed? Because... They're trying to fit that aggressive narrative, right? Mm. But but men are passive. I know them. They exist, and they can like they want their spouses to be happy. They don't want to force someone else into a relationship who doesn't want to be with them. You know? Yeah. And I I find it so frustrating that we always talk about how different men and women are. Like they want such different things. No, they don't. They're just trying to fit into the archetypes that have been pushed on them since childhood. But I, and so for me, I felt really disappointed that we didn't get. That relationship on screen between Esty and David, because I think it's something that we need to see so much more of for so many reasons, for the benefit of men and women and anyone in between. It means that in the film, like... um, That was really good. Yeah. It means that, like, in the film, David's character has the best growth instead of it being Esty's character having the best growth. Like, he's like... I'm wrong. I'm wrong to oppress my wife. Yeah. You know, and then... Well done! You know, yeah, like, the nuance of this story of, like, Esty essentially having her coming-of-age story happen when she's much older. Yes. And... Which happens. And um, having, you know, Ronit be that rebellious teenager who plays down the significance of... Her love? Of her love for Esty. Yeah. Because it's, for her, like, she just needs to, I was just rebelling. And that gives her a sense of power. Like, it was just, it was just, you know, it was just a fling. Because I I was just rebelling. Yeah. Um, I feel like Esty is the main character. Like, we get a a lot of Ronit's perspective and a lot of Ronit's narrative. It's because she drives the plot by coming into By coming in and she unsettles everything. Definitely. But I... I really appreciated Esty and the more nuance of the situation. Like, I... Life isn't black and white. And even in religion, like, religion isn't inherently bad. I think it's so funny because religious people think religion is good. But to me, I'm like, religion is evil. But it's not. It's just the people that warp it. Like, you can be religious and be a good person. You can be atheist and be a good person. It's like she says in the in the passage that I read the the um uh, the Goldfarbs aren't the villains because they're Jewish. Yeah, they're good people who are Jewish. Yeah, the Hartogs are villains, but, but it's they're just, not because they're Jewish. Yeah, it's because just, they're villains. Yeah, it's because they're bad people. They're bad people. I want to read this section that we get at the end because I really missed it, and I thought there's recipes in here. I love that. There's recipes in the back of this book. Yeah. I didn't know that. Oh, this was, is a lovely font. This is a this book is written in a lovely font. There was um and just while Maddie's finding the passage, there was an uh, a review that we read 
where that complained that the book was plot heavy and that um, there was nothing interesting about it. It was just superimposed on like a, a bit of social research done about Jewish traditions and some um, Jewish jargon. And then it's, you know, it's an interesting retelling of the book. And I thought that was so funny because Naomi Alderman was raised in an Orthodox <laughs> Jewish um, community and the headaches from the book were hers. Like she has those kinds of migraines and stuff. What? Um, yeah. I didn't know that. Um, and so it's just so fascinating that somebody was like, she doesn't know what she's talking about. And like, that's such a, that's just a thing just yeah. to assume that the author has done some cursory research. Oh, absolutely. And to discredit women's opinions and say like, oh, they might have a doctorate, but like, they're not really a doctor. Oh, fuck off. Anyway. So this is the end of the book, um, where Ronit has come back for the placing of the gravestone, um, and Esty and Dovid are there. And this is from Ronit's perspective, this first bit. Esty and Dovid stand together loosely, both looking forward rather than at each other, as though at any moment they might realise they are standing too close to a complete stranger and walk away from each other. But they don't. They remain together, and when Esty moves forward, Dovid goes with her. Watching them, Ronit thinks about people who stay married even if one partner changes sex, or loses several key appendages, or their mind. She knows that that's kind of patronising, but she's just trying to get her head around it. Esty is watching Ronit too. She's thinking that Ronit seems less now than she did before. It's not that she is less, Esty knows that, but that she used to seem too much. There was a time when Esty thought that Ronit's face contained the world, but now... Well, it's just a face. She's grateful for that. Grateful for the change. Because it's not good to see the world in a face that doesn't belong to you. That's always turning away from you. She doesn't see the world in Dovid's face either. But she can see it's a better face than she thought. He is kind and has a surprisingly good sense of humour. These things aren't everything. But, for now, they're enough to make the journey not unappealing to her. She thinks if she had the choice to make it again, the original choice from all those years ago... She'd still choose the same. It seems clear to her. Esty finds that these days she's quite clear about a lot of things, and though a sort of fog has lifted from her brain, it's as if she herself has been brought into focus, like a telescope drawing down the moon. She surprises herself quite often by thinking it's fine. Everything is just fine. And I love that so much. It's a beautiful ending. It's a beautiful ending, and I think it is so true. Like, Ronit can't understand why Esther and Dovid stay together, but it's not for her to understand. Yeah. They know why they stay together, and they have that dynamic. Esther has gone through this journey of thinking, like, Ronit was this person that was amazing, and she left because she's so brave, and she saw the world. Like, I love that. Like, it's not good to see the world in someone else's face. Yeah. Cause so good! So good. So good! That's such a good... And you don't get that from the film not at all especially with that like last minute chasing down the cab i just one more kiss like thing that they do <sighs> yeah and and real life isn't really like that like it is sometimes like it is maybe when you first start dating someone and you're maybe in your 20 like early 20s or teenage yeah. years but as an adult we're all trying to balance everything all the time i'm considering moving to a different city for work because my current job is just not fulfilling me in a way and that would mean that we would be long distance for a mm. while. And that's something that I hadn't really considered as a possibility. But you try to make life as so many unanswered things. You don't know where you fit. You don't know what you should do. You don't know the answers. The majority of the time, you don't know if you're doing the right thing. But you just try and, you try and guess. I would say you never really know if you're doing the right thing. You're just making a choice. Exactly. And then dealing with the consequences. And sometimes they're good and sometimes they're bad. A hundred percent. But we don't talk about it that way as kids. Yeah. We don't talk about it that way as youth or adolescents. We're like, what are you going to do? You should know what you're going to do. Who are you? 
who who you are is both ever changing and something you're discovering your whole life. You shouldn't stag you shouldn't be the same person. You shouldn't know who you're going to be at 18 the same way you shouldn't know who you're going to be at 50. Yeah. And really and I think that with Asti being given a voice in the community and shaking things up, she's giving herself the permission to discover who she is. Uh, and I think it's it's there's a lot of really beautiful routine there's something that i missed uh from the film is that ronit at the beginning you kind of get a sense of it because she does rip her shirt but ronit really flounders actually the opening scene where she goes from place to place kind of after she finds out that her dad is dead and she's just like doing things because she doesn't know what to do i felt like that was conveyed pretty well i thought that was a pretty good interpretation of how she felt Mm -hmm. and then she rips her shit because in the book you get a really nice description of how if she had stayed within the orthodox jewish tradition she would have known exactly what to do when her dad died there would be a checklist of how she was supposed to act and what she was supposed to wear and where she was supposed to be at any point and what she was supposed to be doing while she was at that point and that would and 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 the idea is that when you get to the end of those ceremonies you would you would have mourned you would have grieved and life would go on yeah there was that structure yeah that structure that you need when something huge and life-changing like that happens absolutely and she doesn't have that because she's not part of the jewish orthodox tradition and then at the end of the book she talks about how um she doesn't she doesn't go to the synagogue on Sundays or um, on Saturdays, or I'm not actually sure. Um, but she does occasionally, you know, take out the candles or eat a... Um, chicken? A roast chicken is talked about a lot. <laughs> yeah. Or eat a uh, 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 kosher meal on Shabbat. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> I know the word kosher. I was like, kosher. And, and say the prayers and stuff like that. And, um, and, 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 and she likes that. She likes having that that part of her because she is Jewish she was raised Jewish and that's not an identity she can get rid of even if it doesn't align with her other identity which is absolutely I'm gonna say being LGBTQA plus because it's not clear whether or not she's bisexual or gay oh yeah yeah definitely and I think that it's a really good way of talking about how we're all lots of things and we're not just one thing all the time yeah you know it's and we're not perfect as well we all try our best like you and I are vegan Everyone has this purest view of vegans and it's like, it's not necessary. Like it would be so much better for everyone just to sometimes have a vegetarian meal. We're all obsessed with titles so much. Yeah. You know, and there's if- a really good Lena Norms video that talks about how we're obsessed. It's her New Year's resolutions video. Yeah. Yay, Lena Norms. And also, you know, we're so quick to judge everyone if they fail or falter slightly. Like we, we have this extreme view of failure as though it's not, what it is which is just a learning opportunity and a change an opportunity for growth and change like we've made lots of mistakes in our marriage but because we haven't shied away from that fact and we've pushed through them and changed and grown together we've only become stronger as individuals and as a couple but i don't think a lot of people do that yeah absolutely yeah it's such a good book read the book read the book book. everyone read the book it's Um, really good so talking about how good the book was and maybe uh it's come across obvious already how you know we didn't like the film as much how would you rate the film as an adaptation of the book probably a four oh wow maybe a five yeah that's quite a lot that's quite low well in in certain respects they do kind of retain the skeleton of the plot they miss the point I think that's a bigger... You you really... I'm really like, you missed the point. Yeah. You're all about the heart of something. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. 100%. Yeah. I I feel that. I would say about five. I would say more five to six. But I agree with you. 
No, 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 no. No, I agree. Like six it, is too high. Yeah, it it definitely more than half is too high because they missed the point. They missed the point. They changed the story. Yeah, they changed the message. That yeah. Naomi Alderman. How do you say Naomi? Naomi. No, you say Naomi. Naomi or Naomi, depending on who you're talking to. Sure, I would say Naomi, but sure. It doesn't matter. When I'm sitting in the film and I walk away with from the movie, if I if I try to pretend like I had seen the movie without reading the book. Ooh, that's a good mindset to go into. The, I mean, the overall feeling is one of, I guess, victory because both Ronit and Esty are free. But it's not as victorious as I felt when I, I read the end of the book. So, I mean, I mean, if we're, if this is a good, I guess this is a good place to any to transition to how we felt about the film as a whole, um, mm. in, irrespective of the book. I guess I would rate the film as maybe more like a six. It is, it is a particular kind of film. Like, it is... It like with the sex scene, which we we haven't talked much about, but in the sex scene, all the clothes stay on. Yeah, and it doesn't feel super male gazy to me. No, to me, it's I always find those kinds of. But scenes... it does feel contrived. Yes, I've never been a hundred percent sure what contrived meant. It's like it's like a a forced level of structure. Yes, yes, of. yes. I agree with that. I I felt like it was a forced level of sexuality. Is what I felt. Which I think if I think it it sort of makes sense in the context of the of it being like sort of a foil to Jewish Orthodox traditional ceremony and rigor rigid rigidness. Yeah, I think. For me, seeing lesbian sex scenes, obviously I have first-hand experience of them. I have never, I've never once, have I? I've never once seen, I don't know, stop me if this is too personal. I've never once seen a lesbian sex scene the way that you and I have sex. No, but I mean, when we when we first started dating, I feel like it was much more like, tear your clothes off, I can't wait to touch you. But we've been... We've been married for like a few years now, and now it's sure, so more I, like, how can we fit sex into our busy schedule and still get eight hours of sleep? I'm so tired. <laughs> I love you, but you're, like I love it's too, you, it's too, it's too hot. Don't touch me. If well, I if I if I could if I could choose between an orgasm and eight hour night of sleep, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I should be offended. Oh, honey, an eight hour sleep next to you, specifically. Yeah. Okay, that's fine then. That's okay. <laughs> and that's a really good point, though, because a lot of the times when we're watching these films, they're either really sad about how the lesbian couple can't be together, or it's just the beginning of their relationship. And so we don't get to see films where there are older lesbian couples who've been together a long time. I guess doesn't no one want to see that sex scene? I don't know. Is that apparently what we're being told by these films? Or is that just kind of not the point of the story? Because the story is about the conflict and how people resolve and how people grow. And that's an interesting thing to talk about rather than talking about people who've been together for a long time. I guess the point of this story isn't about people who've been together for a long time. But I can't think of one of people who have been. No, we're still, we're still just getting visibility. Mm. You know? Absolutely. I, I, I Whereas, do... okay, here's a perfect example of, like, the comparison. The Notebook mm-hmm. is about the older couple and, you know, the woman has Alzheimer's and so her husband is reading the diary, the yeah. story of their life. And that we don't see them have sex as old people. I'm not talking about that old. Like, I mean, more like people in their 30s who've been together for a few years. Like, just in general, heterosexual or homosexual? 
Yeah, in general. I'm trying to think of like what... Like an honest... Well, just what what movie would that be? Like who... Like... Because we always see the beginning of relationships, but... And I mean, we're some, there's sometimes parents. Or the end. We saw the marriage story. Yes, or the end. Like yeah. there's... Like... I'm trying to think. I've seen... I, I feel like I have seen something. I can't I can't think of a movie of like... Of, of parents trying to have sex specifically. Mm. What comes to mind is, is it long distance or is it going the distance? It's going the distance and it's got Drew Barrymore and that guy who's the cute, sweet guy from New Girl and he plays the violin and he's in, he's always plays that kind of like softer actor guy, comedian. Softer actor guy, comedian? Well, that's his, what is that? That's his face. Are you looking him up? Yeah. Um, and they... Oh, yes. Yeah. See? That's totally his thing. What's his Softer name? actor guy. Okay, yeah. What's um, his name? It's right there. This is not. What are you looking? The at? right film. I don't know what this is. This is a cowboy in it. But you've. This, that's not what it is. Okay, go the distance through Barrymore. See, it's a different film. What's it called? It's still called Going the Distance. Still, okay, but so the, I guess the most popular one is the 2004 version with has a cowgirl on the front. Okay. Justin Long. Yeah, Justin Long. I knew. He, yeah. I, I knew. Now that you said that, that's so obvious to me. Um, there's a sex scene in that film. That is where Drew Barrymore is about to take up her new job opportunity on the other coast, yeah. up, like the coast of the states. And before I lived in the in the states, I did not realize how big it like that is too big of a country to be one country. It's too many people, too many people who disagree. Like Russia and Australia are pretty big. Do you, what? I mean, I don't think they're the best countries to want to be like. Yay! I want to be like Russia. <laughs> Kill the gays. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, sorry. That's fair. Sure. But there's a sex scene, yeah, before she goes away, and it is much more. It's very intimate, and it's very sweet and loving. And I think that I like. I really like that movie. Mm. I think it has a really good message because she chooses her career, and then he moves. And I think overall, like, it's still a very white film. It's still a very like heteronormative, very like oh, they've got to pick between their really cool jobs or each other. Like, oh, it's yeah. still a very privileged film, but I do like that there is a lot more feminism in it than normal, yeah. I would say, for that kind of the tropes of those films. I would love to see a film that was, like, some 20-somethings and, like, one of them has to drop in a grocery store or a retail shop and kind of hates their life but is getting through. Like, I love stuff like that. Yeah. Do we kind of... Mm. Is that kind of what we're seeing with that new show on Netflix called um, The Department Store? Is that what it's called? Superstore? Superstore. And it's I got Amer- America. If that is a new show or just a it's show just a- that's just newly been added to Netflix. You know what I'm saying? I think it's a new show. I think it came out in 2020. Like it's recently made. But it is, it's just kind of that classic, like it's a remake of Office really, like Oh, these misfits working in a, a space, but it is more... It's not a new show. It was first aired in 2015. 2015? Re- yeah, it reads that way. Why is it new to me? Because it's your vibe? Because it starts a non-white person, probably? That's not a criticism of you, just a criticism. No, that's so... Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I feel like it's very appropriate at the moment. But I mean, 2015 was only five years ago and... Six years ago. Six years ago, and like... By that time, pretty much everything we watched was on Netflix. We don't watch television. If it's not on Netflix, we don't access it. Yeah, but this 
Oh, was this did this come out not on Netflix? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it didn't originally come out on Netflix. Ah, uh, I see what you're saying. But also, I think that's really interesting because this came out in 2015, but Disobedience came out in 2017, and I think that's why I was a little bit disappointed, and I'm not sure if it was a translation thing, like you were talking about the director's first language is not English. Oh, who are we getting? It's not just a translation thing. It's the fact that every lesbian film has to be directly about overcoming oppression <laughs> like there can't be any nuance in it well that's, lesbians are oppressed this is them overcoming it yeah well that's i because i've learned a lot in the last couple of years about the different types of oppression that affected different groups of the rainbow community and i didn't know that in new zealand it was never actually illegal to be a lesbian because no one ever thought that people would do that it was yeah. just illegal to be a homosexual man um i agree there's all these tropes about like you know I really enjoyed Portrait of a Lady on Fire, even though it was so sad. I thought the love that it was, it was one of the a lesbian films where I felt like it, there was an actual connection between yeah. the two actresses um, rather than just me being like uh, drawn to it. Cause I'm like, Ooh, lesbians. But the director said he felt like the chemistry between Rachel Wise and Rachel McAdams was palpable, but I didn't it? feel that way. No, I didn't feel that way. Not at all. And they're really talented actresses. I just didn't. I know. I, I didn't like them feel both. like I couldn't see them being together. No. And I couldn't I couldn't see past their fame. Yeah. And we recently watched um an Ammonite. Ammonite. Um which we haven't talked about because we didn't watch it as a book to film. We do watch films outside of the podcast. We do. Um and that every now and again had Kate Winslet and um Saoirse Ronan on it. Yeah. And we had a similar discussion where we didn't feel like there was any really good chemistry. There's obviously a big age gap difference, but also it was incredibly sexualized. Yeah, I didn't really like Ammonite that much. It was fine. It, it didn't, was it fine. Didn't have the, I didn't have the place. And but then you know when I first watched Portrait of the Lady on Fire, I was like, oh, that was good. But I didn't, I didn't really connect with it as much as like, I think Portrait of the Lady on Fire was so good, and I think that Ammonite is like it is a well made film, but. For me, if I'm going to think about a gay film that I'm going to rewatch again, we're talking Happiest Season. Remind me. It's with... um. Ah! Why did I forget that? I want to see We've my... seen a lot of lesbian films recently. It seems yeah, isn't like... it great? It's a big boom in that area. We should make one. Uh, yeah. We're going to... We want to see that other one that is supposed to be coming out as well that you mentioned. Summerland? Summerland. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Comp- not... Not summer... Oh. Not... Summer, midsummer, midsummer, not that one. No, uh, Maddie yes. doesn't want to watch that one. Yeah, Summerland, but and that's kind of an interesting one because it looks as though we're getting perspective of someone's past mm, or something. Maybe like a ride. It doesn't matter. I look During wartime, another lesbian couple that just can't be together. Um, but what? but I think that's why I okay okay okay. Now that I've seen it like maybe ten, I don't know. Ooh, a whole ten lesbian films. Um. I really like Portrait of a Lady on Fire because I feel like there's actually a dynamic and chemistry between the two leads. And I like Imagine Me and You because it's not super sad. Yeah. And it's it's more how real people would react in those kinds of situations. I feel like the 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 the, the hole that I'm get I, I feel in film in terms of positive lesbian relationships. I get filled by TV basically at this point. Like I'm mm. seeing it in TV. We start with Petra in Jane the Virgin. We we're seeing it a little bit, not as much as I would like with um, 
Valencia and, and Crazy Ex-Girlfriends. Yeah. Which is a great show, by the way. If you haven't checked it out on Netflix, check out Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. The title, um, it makes sense, but we found it initially problematic, but they, they're they very self-aware. It's a very good show. Do you know another good movie that this makes me think of? Like, mm. um, Disobedience that we really enjoyed that had. Was that coming-of-age film starring that sweet Asian actress... She writes... Yeah, in the journal. In the... She writes notes for the boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, shit. It's on Netflix and... Oh, I want to get it. It's called Josie. It's like the two names. It's called their names. Dash and Lily. Was it called Dash and Lily? Yep. I knew it was called their names. No! No? It's not. You didn't listen to what I said. Oh. Oh, I guess... I guess she's a little bit Asian. She- no, it's a coming-of-age film, not a TV series. Uh, isn't um, that funny? Yeah. With that sweet Asian girl who writes the letters for the boys. To all the boys I've loved before. It's that other coming-of-age for the boy. Not for for her boys, but for the boy to attract the attention of the popular girl. Oh, my God. <gasps> this is crazy. Uh, oh, shit. And he like yeah, does something for oh her. Oh my god, this is hilarious! Is. This is hilarious. Um, lesbian who writes notes for boy Netflix. The half of it. Oh, yes, it is the half of it. I uh, I, I was looking the at it, but the the, yeah. the poster is weird. Yeah, yeah, the half of it was quite good. I liked the half of it a lot. That is so funny. Like yeah. I wasn't off all the films you were describing. Like, that was so. That was that was that was a fun little thing that just happened. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um, mm. great. Wow. So the half of it was good. I agree. Yeah, I felt like that was also a nuance. I like. I, no, I like the subtleties of that, and I like the realism of how you know people think the beautiful girl in high school is going to be a bitch, but she's not. And yeah. she feels a lot of pressure to fill a role, and she doesn't want that. And I, I think, I think on. I'd rewatch that film again. Yeah, me too. And, and I think in general, we don't have these kind of stereotypes that we have in films. And I understand that film is like an exaggeration. Like people like that it's more dramatic. But I think these days, people take too much, too many cues from films and television. We kind of use it as a friend or something to gauge and I'm not immune to it I watch the last airbender every year because to me it's like my religion if I was going to have a religion so I'm not immune to the fact that we learn lessons from tv shows and stuff but that's why I'm saying we should be careful about what we're saying because people will read into it what they read into it yeah and I think it would be really nice if I, I don't see it happening, but it would be really it would be really nice if religion could get to a place where you could believe in a god and it, that didn't have to restrict so many aspects of your person. Like if it was just about like believing in a god that helps you answer the questions that you have about what happens when we die and also gives you some direction about how to be a good person. But it would be nice if the things that make you a good person were like a lot less arbitrary, like the number of people you have or have not slept with or absolutely but I, and i think when you choose to start having sex and yeah. you know with what gender you but, choose and to. i think there are some religious people who would say to you like that's what religion means to them yes oh. but i would say organized religion yeah. hasn't come that way far i agree in a lot of places and i, I just you know 
the, the thing that kept me with religion for as long as it did was I really loved the idea of this all-knowing being who loved you so much that he could forgive anything. Mm-hmm. You know, absolutely. And and then and then when I got through to organized religion, I was like, that's just not a thing. And then now I have like different beliefs. Like there's a different feeling inside me of much much more atheism. Yes, and that's fine as well. But I I I I don't think because to me, if I had to imagine the most loving, the most the best loving, mostest loving, ist being mm. with the greatest amount of love the most pure kind of love there aren't constraints on it it's all knowing all understanding absolutely and all forgiving yeah i agree with you and i think it, it, it would be nice to think that that's where we got to one day i don't understand why religion teaches that you have to feel guilty for everything not just things you do things you think and you have to constantly be in penance and you have to constantly be trying to be better like I think the whole system is just designed to manipulate people when they're the most vulnerable. Mm. I, yeah, I agree. But I, and I think humans by nature, like we're, we're just animals who have dexterity. And so we've built a lot, lots of stuff, but we still have a lot. Like like if everyone in the world had a billion dollars and if everyone in the world had the same grounds, like there would be some great people, but there would be some bad people and there'd be most people just in the middle just wanting to be left alone and just living their lives because we just want to build our huts and have our communities and feed ourselves and sleep. You know? Yeah. We don't really and want... have sex when yeah. we have time. When we have time and we're not too tired. And, yeah. and you know, we don't have a bellyache or anything. We, we all want quite simple things when you get down to it. Yeah. Um, and I don't think... I think... They're, they, yeah. I think we should all have them, really. For sure. Um, I think that's us. Yeah, I don't know. Like, uh... The film was fine. It was fine. It wasn't like... It didn't blow me away. No, it didn't need to be two hours. It got to a point, and I think we're about 45 minutes from the end, and I said, what are they... What's going to happen? What's going to happen now? Yeah. It's just a lot of long looks. Yeah. I also just really didn't like how she spits in her mouth in the sex scene. I know you talked about how it's supposed to mimic, like, being baptized or something. Well, yeah, like the... More like communion i think yeah, and the idea I, of like my blood is your blood that's disgusting yeah absolutely disgusting to me i don't know why obviously we kiss with tongue and it's quite similar but oh no <gasps> i found it repulsive <laughs> repulsive uh, oh, just, i can't let's not and on that note no, on that disgusting no. note uh thank you so much for joining us this week um chapter one take two is oh, revamp remake retire oh yeah yeah do you know what you're going to say? Mm. Yeah. Okay. One, One two, two, three. three. Remake. Remake. Yeah. Yeah, because it's a story worth telling. It, it is a good. And it's a great story, and I would love to see it. And I would love to see Elsie's speech in front of the synagogue. Yeah. And David standing next to her. And I want to see that relationship. I want to see Elsie and David, and I want to see that beautiful relationship based mainly on friendship and i think that that's great yeah you mean esty right i feel like you said elsie i mean esty <laughs> great <laughs> thinking elsa i um, don't know yeah. yeah and i want to see it with a few lesser known actors yeah totally it doesn't need to be just yeah doesn't need to be a big blockbuster we, yeah we don't need famous people to sell gay films anymore no i just want people who are 
good actors. Yeah, and, and that's not to say Rachel McAdams and Rachel Weisz aren't. I, they, I just, I felt like I lost some of it. I Particularly with Rachel McAdams. Yeah, with Ammonite, I could not get past. I was like, this is Kate Winslet, and Saoirse Ronan is sitting on her face. <laughs> I couldn't get past yeah, that. Yeah, okay. I was like, this is Rose from Great. Titanic. Yeah. And she has the chick from Brooklyn sitting yeah. on her face. She has Joe Marsh. Joe March. March sitting on her face. So close. It was yeah. Marsh, like Marsh, I don't know. Uh, um, cool. Yes. Chapter one, take two. Uh, we release a episode every fortnight because we take a while to read a book, as you can understand. Um, yeah, got our live show coming up. I've got our Patreon available to you. Um, we have our website. Check that out. It's where all our things are. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, email. We got it all. We're here to chat. If you're a lesbian and you have any film recommendations, apart from Debs, remember when I made you watch Debs? That one about the spies, the high school spies. That was so weird. Oh my God, yes. To my LGBTQA plus Fano, if you have any recommendations on gay films that won't make us cry, we would love to hear them. Yes, we absolutely would. Until next time, take care uh, next week. We are doing our live episode. We're doing Carol, right? Yeah. Amazing. I started reading Carol, and so far, religion hasn't really come into it. But it does seem very sad. Oh, no. But sad in a similar way to disobedience. So. Okay. Okay. It's always a risk when you do a live episode, and you're like, I don't know the book or the movie. Yes. Uh, yeah, so if you want to hear our next episode live, we will be at Little Andromeda, uh, March 11th. It's a Thursday night, 8.30pm. You can buy tickets through Humanitex, $10 for unwaged or concession, $15 for adults. Um, that just goes towards, you know, the theatre, paying our guest, the amazing Ray Shipley, who is a Billy T nominee comedian and librarian and poet. So talented, that Ray. Yeah. Yeah. I When I think of Ray, I think... Of librarian, like really up there. Yeah, because they just they love talking about it. Yeah, and it's I great. Just, I love that. I love that too. I feel like everyone has a thing. You're gonna be a teacher. I need a thing. I'm a public you want a title. Se- I'm a public servant. Yeah. Mm. yeah. All right. Thank you so much. And yeah, we will see you next time. Hey Kona. Hey Kona. Or Kakite. Kakite no. But not really Kakite, because we won't see you again. So mm. hey Kona. See you, see you later. That's from um, Susie Cato. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. (laughs) I know.